Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zurar. I'm Hino. And I'm Cheesy. And I'm Stacy. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what constitutes a good fluency model. But instead of maybe creating a brand new model, let's talk about what are some of the elements or things a fluency model must consider for it to carry any weight or be uh, a, a little bit more useful. I- I'll start. A fluency model should tell you what you should be striving for as a next step of improvement. Maybe not specifically, of course, but give some general guidance on this is what I need to be working on or this is what my team needs to be working on. Again, not religiously, but just a hint on what you're supposed to be maybe doing next. So, so Zahar, it, it looks like you you, um, you interpret a fluency model as, as some kind of guide towards uh towards improvement i see a fluency model as as an indication of where you are today uh almost like a maturity model if you really want to call it that way i heard the first time about a fluency model as the the agile fluency model that uh, um that you probably have heard of uh, made by uh, james shore i believe and um diana larson diana larson exactly the the interesting thing about that is that that model is is outcome based or at least it's uh, it's specified that way it it tells you what what is possible for your squad if you've reached a certain uh, fluency but i i want to add one more thing to that and is what does fluency really mean and in this case it really means like it's how you behave as a, as a team under stress right what what uh, not just uh, when things are going well, but under stress, how do you behave then? That is what they consider uh, your agile fluency. I'm going to say you both are wrong and you're both are right. So uh, a, a fluency model should show you where you are right now. Yeah, it, it should kind of help you with that. But that's not the only thing it does. What it does is it shows different levels of fluency. And so, you know, so... For example, uh, and, and so it also incorporates what, what Zarar was saying as well. So, so, for example, if you would look across the scale for some specific aspect and you might realize, well, I'm, I'm at such and such a level, it should help you understand what it might look like to be at the next level and, and so on and so on. And so, so to go back to Zarar's original question, though, what, what would you like to see? What I would like to see is is uh, a challenge almost being posed to people, which which means that I, I think a fluency model where where the overwhelming majority of everybody rates very high uh, might cause an organization to become complacent, you know, and and so whereas a, a fluency model. That shows, well, we are at such and such a point, so we get a good understanding of that. But that also lays out what's possible and kind of lays out where we could go would be something that I think would be valuable. I really like that, Cheesy. I, I, I think of one more thing uh, when I think of that, and and it's stemming to how how folks learn. You know, when when you look at one of these models, if you look at some of the stuff in the model that's like way further ahead from where you are. It's it's quite often you you just don't have the context to fully appreciate what that means yet, and so I think a big part of a a, a model is to have um, smaller steps, digestible steps, to say, well, if I'm here, 
then you know this isn't too much of a stretch to understand where where I'm going. Like we talked about what a model sort of should be doing or what it should indicate, but given how how quickly things change in the industry, what are how do you construct a model which is designed for change? Like what do you put on the model? What are some of the things you put on the model that sort of stand the test of time, uh, you know, beyond just what's popular now or what's trending now? Well, just like you said, the industry is changing a lot. Uh, a model could not be something that's static either. For example, uh, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about continuous delivery in this podcast. Uh, 20 years ago, that was something that was unheard of. Now it's commonplace, and now there are lots of folks who kind of look in the rearview mirror and say, yeah, that, that was a great stepping stone as well. So, so your maturity model or your fluency model needs to continue to evolve as well, especially as we continue to learn better ways of building software. One of those things that, that changes often are, are really the practices that we use uh, and that, that changes with technology, changes with our understanding of how, how to solve certain problems, changes with complexity and so forth. So we, we shouldn't really be looking at what are the practices that we use to identify where we are on that fluency model. Um, and this is why I referred to it uh, early on as well, is we should be looking at something like, that is that is interpretable. That is uh, that gives you uh, an indication of what is what is now capable, what your team is capable of, what you can do, what you can achieve, and uh, so it, so it needs to be uh, more outcome based and uh, and specified in such a way. Yeah, I, I think I think about um, say something like TDD. I think is a good example of a practice. You know, and TDD is the kind of thing that if um, uh, unless you're kind of at a certain point in your journey, it's it's hard to um, dig into. You know, it's it's easy to get stuck. It's easy to uh, find yourself in a place where it just doesn't feel like it's working for you. And you know, when you when you think about all of the things that contribute to when it works well, if you think of you know um, the the particular eye you have to uh, to testing and to how you know you might get that impact where you know, if the code doesn't exist that I'm writing the test for, then it's not possible for me to accidentally test the implementation. You know, all these little things cascade together that, um, you know, unless you're thinking about testing the implementation versus testing the the actual, you know, what it does, um, you're, you're, you're not likely to pick up on a nuance like that, or you, you might, but it, it might feel um, differently than in the TDD cycle. I would love to see some aspects of wastes being injected into any fluency model. Because I think you can measure sometimes fluency uh, by judging how much waste exists in the system. And like it's almost the inverse of the seven wastes, where instead of measuring where you are on your agile journey or whatever it is, you can basically say how much waste still exists in our in our system, or how much waste have we not even tried to eliminate yet? For, for example, handoffs is a very popular one, which almost every company has, right? A, a fluency model might tell you, well, our, 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 the amount of handoffs we current, that currently exist to deliver anything to production are quite high, and how do you reduce that? Or, or how, what the wait time is between certain processes. So I, I think th there's some valuable tools out there like wastes which you can inject into a fluency model to give it more meaningful while at the same time making it a little bit more timeless. 
So for a fluency model, is it something that we should measure individuals or is it something that we should use to measure teams? And, uh, and what do we do in situations where uh, we look at fluency and we see we have a huge variance across team members where some teams uh, members are working at a high fluency in certain ways and other teams are working in a lo- much lower fluency and how can we leverage the fluency model to help teams in that way? I, I think you're almost automatically looking at different models. Uh, you're looking at individual fluency as you kind of mentioned it and uh, and a team fluency and obviously the individual fluency will have an impact on the team fluency but it's it's really how those individuals work together that will uh, will help you identify how far the team is. If you as an individual when would you you would be working all by yourself uh, on on some kind of application, some kind of product, and uh, you would be able to respond very quickly to a new request, uh, deal with uh, something that comes uh, with a production bug and so forth. You would be able to do this very quickly. And then suddenly you're dropped into a, a larger team uh, where you have to work together with multiple people with a few different skills just because you require those. And, um, and, and everyone else is not working in the same way as you were. Um, the question is, Will you still have that same kind of response? Will you be equally flexible or able to deal with a request from a customer or deal with a with a failure in in production? So my assumption there, if, if that is the case, you would be less fluent as a team. You would be ha- you would have lower fluency. I I think it's um, a little bit awkward to think about individual versus team fluency because I think of how you know you know I really liked you know, you're bringing up the notion of, you know, I'm going to behave differently in a different context, a different environment. And, and that will have an impact on how that, um, how that looks. And, and I view, I view these fluency models as a, an internal assessment, you know, is I, I, I don't like them as something to be judged externally by. I see them as a guide for how we, um, how we work as a team and and deliver things together. And if there are variants within the team of where folks are, I I I like to look to a lot of the standard sort of things we see um, in Agile to help that team alignment happen. Whether it's pairing or mobbing, or whether uh, things come up in retrospectives, whether we um, you know look for opportunities for skills transfer, like all these all these possible things that we can do that that don't. Um, don't expose the the vulnerability of a single individual um, to greater forces, you know? How do we look at it in cases where maybe the, the, uh, the organization goes through something more akin to radical reteaming or where, you know, the concept of a team uh, actually doesn't exist or that where they reform teams every few days. And so looking at a team itself, you know, and trying to say what's the maturity or the fluency of a team, yeah, the, the team is short-lived. So you almost have to look at the individual and say, how good are they at being a team player? So it brings a different different perspective into all of this, you know, because uh, 
this, this is something that you're seeing more and more of out in the industry, which is that they are reforming teams in some cases every few days, you know, completely tearing down and rebuilding up teams based on what the needs are right now. I'm still with, with Stacy that it's really difficult to uh, to assess the fluency of one individual because you can't really take it out of context or take somebody's contribution out of context of that team. That team in the in the situation that you're referring to, uh, uh, cheesy, you're, you're absolutely right. It, there, there's no point in looking at an individual team when that team is only around for two three days. Uh, but there is a point in looking at the organization. Right, the organization in itself, you can look at that as a as a, a kind of team as well that has a couple of uh, um, of objectives to uh, to achieve. Uh, whether it's an organization around a specific product where where a variety of teams work together that are constantly changing, or it's an organization uh, as a whole uh, offering multiple products or services. Right, so I, I think that fluency makes sense then at that level. I, I think that. Um points too to like i think of um reteaming the ability to um to reteam as a skill that can be held by an organization or an individual and you know it's because there's a lot of things that you um you, you once you've done it several times it gets easier and if it's part of the culture it um you know it seems in this example maybe to indicate if this is our organizational structure if this is how we operate if this is our culture then you know this is a skill that we value and we we're going to consider the ability to reteam across our, our own fluency model maybe another thing you can add into a fluency model could be how quickly is the organization or the team able to self-organize to solve a particular problem mm-hmm. because in any any context you probably have 40 50 people on on in a group and and the problems that come in to that group may be of a diverse kind but oftentimes we see the same pattern being used to solve different types of problems so is is a team or an organization able to adjust itself to the problem that at hand and not apply templated solutions to the problems like, like, like Dijkstra's algorithm, the shortest path algorithm. They taught that uh, taught us that in university. It's like if you have a bunch of uh, nodes, what is the shortest path through that nodes with with each node, you know, each, each edge having a bit of a cost. So if you apply that to, to this to this idea, it would be how quickly is a team able to find its way to a particular problem using the shortest and most efficient way, and also the one that maximizes learning, maybe or, or whatever it is, right? But the, the idea is that don't apply necessarily boilerplate solutions to problems, but try to adjust to the problem and solve it in, in the most efficient way. And, and this is why I hate the idea of playbooks, right? Because playbooks, I, I remember being in a meeting with Cheesy once and, uh, you know, this this large consulting company said like, hey, you guys need to have a playbook. And Cheesy just yelled out, well, playbook is just a race to mediocrity. <laughs> and I remember that. So I think something like that could be incorporated into one of these models. And yet we do run into the uh, possibility of introducing a fluency model of being that race to mediocrity, if you think about it. Uh, because we know for a fact that no two teams are exactly the same. And that that this whole idea around standardizing your agile or your methodology or whatever uh, absolutely uh, squashes innovation 
and squashes uh, the, the the drive to reach outside of uh, of our box to think about much much better ways, you know, to take those large steps. And so, in some ways, we we have to be careful that our that an influency model that you bring in uh, doesn't reinforce that. These are these are great conversations. These are these are all great thoughts and. Ultimately, we, we are talking fairly philosophical here, and, and that's all right. I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, way of, of kind of laying the foundation for a, for a conversation about what might a fluency model look like for continuous delivery, and uh, maybe that's something that we can address next time. And with that, we'll conclude this week's uh, Continuous Delivery Podcast. Goodbye.